Good morning, church. We've got two weeks till the NFL kicks off. You're going to keep wearing that Falcons junk, aren't you? It's all right. Well, it's, uh, this, 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 uh, this series has flown by for me. Here we are at the end of our bottom line series. August has, has flown by, and it's called The Bottom Line. We took that from a, a message Jesus preached uh, called the Sermon on the Mount, and his closer of that, of that um, message on money was Matthew 6, 24, where he said, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And our takeaway from that first week that we've been building on is either your money serves your God or your money is your God. And then week two, we broke down this Hebrews verse that says in Hebrews 13, 5, keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Uh, For God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. But we we got stuck there for a little bit. We took a detour that's connected because as a multi-ethnic church, we were not going to ignore the, the, the racial um, income gaps in our country and our history, and we're all called to be content. But we just said we're, we're, we're called to both be content with what we have, but also acknowledge the realities of why some have more than others. And we connected that back to these two words that are so toxic, uh, white supremacy, Right? So we talked about white supremacy as we should and its ideology historically and how uh, it's still alive today. We talked about Charlottesville, Virginia. We talked about um, the Confederate flag. Um, we talked about these, these different ways that it continues to. Uh, we talked about the Montgomery, Alabama boat dock incident. And obviously, we had no way of knowing that in this month, we would have what we had yesterday, if you haven't watched the news, a hate uh, racially hateful, motivated killing in Jacksonville, um, Florida. So as a multi-ethnic church, we got to talk. So this reminds me a little bit of, um, of a, we were at a team camp uh, at NC State basketball um, a few months ago with our, the guys, the, my kids that I help coach with. And we're in this, these team camps, man, they got to keep it rolling. So they're not going to call a lot of stuff because they are on a schedule. Well, we were playing this team from Tennessee, these mountain boys from Tennessee, and they weren't doing anything, you know, illegal. They were just playing really rough. And I went over to some of our guys on the bench who tend to be our strongest guys who weren't at the game at that time. I was like, you guys notice what's going on? No, sir. I was like, they're fouling like they're they're hacking. I said, do you notice what the ref did when he called a foul? No, sir. He said, they're not putting the numbers to the table. They're not tracking fouls. Did you know you, couldn't, you can't foul out of these games? They're like, really? I was like, no, you can't foul out. That's why, and these guys are smart. They realize you can't foul out. So I need you to go in there and play football, not basketball. We're playing basketball. They're playing football, and we're getting beat up, not doing anything dirty, but like go hit somebody. Yes, sir, right? I feel like multi-ethnic church, I think some of us maybe don't realize that we're in a fight. Right? We got we to go hit somebody, but we don't hit somebody physically. How do we fight? We did a whole message uh, a month back about raising a hallelujah. Worship is our weapon. I think some of us are under the false premise that what we just did, you know, when you go to the theater and, and the previews, you think worship is kind of the preview and this is like the message is the show, right? That is so wrong. This ain't the show. The, the, what we're here for started 34 minutes ago. Right? That's how we fight. That's how we unite. The answer to the hatred in the world is God's multi-ethnic church. And it's growing and it's moving. And we, we answer hate. We build our life, what we just saying, we build it on love. 
So that's how, that's how we answer hate. And this hate, if you, I've just started to get the details, it is connected right back to white supremacy. Dude had swastikas on his guns, right? It is, it is still here, not just in Jacksonville, but in, in North Carolina where we live. How do we fight against that hate? We fight it with the love and the gospel. We fight it with the multi-ethnic church. The enemy, Satan, is real, right? I'd love to live in some of your worlds where you don't think, you believe in God, but you don't think that Satan is, is real and active. He is. And he hates unity and he hates the multi-ethnic church, right? And, and, and we have, we're going back to the Charleston shooting, right? We had that guy's words where his goal was to start, in his words, a race war, right? The enemy is behind that. What do we answer the race war with? We answer it with the multi-ethnic church and a unity of people that loves each other and bonds together and is empathetic towards each other. You know what? As a white man, I've never once went into a store or a place and worried and wondered, is anybody that hates People that look like me are going to come in with a gun today. Never once had to think that way, right? And that's not true of everybody in our church, and that's not okay. So we fight with prayers. So we're going to pray right now. We're going to pray for Jacksonville. We're going to pray for a, a church called the City Place Church. If you ever go to Disney World, go check out City Place Church. It's a, it's a, um, a brother of mine is the pastor there, and a lot of people know Damon Moore that are at our church. So they're not in Jacksonville, but being as close as they are, there's, I'm sure there's a different vibe in there. Um, this morning, and we're going to pray for churches in Jacksonville, right, that, that have the ability to take the love of Jesus and, and the only answer we have to devastation like that. And we're going to pray for us because don't think for a second that the same evil, the satanic demon possession that was behind what happened yesterday, don't think for a second that doesn't exist in our area. So we're going to pray against it. Join me. Father, it's unspeakable. That, that someone was so filled with hate that they would take the action they took yesterday. God, I thank you that his original plan, he, he seemed to start at a HBCU at that university. I, I thank you that we're not uh, grieving um, a ton of death at that college campus. And we pray our protection on our kids here as we, a lot of them start school tomorrow. We pray your safety. We pray against the spiritual forces of evil that you told us are real. The spiritual forces of evil that hate you and hate your church and hate unity. God, would you unite us in supernatural ways that only your spirit can do? Would you unite us here? God, we pray for the three families that we know of um, in Jacksonville that are forever changed and grieving the loss, unspeakable loss. I pray you would comfort them in a way that is supernatural. God, we pray for communities of faith that exist in Jacksonville. We pray for multi-ethnic churches that exist in Jacksonville, that they would rise above the hate, that they would be your power and your strength and your goodness to that community. We pray for City Place Church um, just a few hours away and, and, and their meeting and their gathering and worship this morning. And God, we pray for here, Wake County, Raleigh, and the greater Raleigh area. God, we pray against the hate that lives among us. God, we pray that your love would push through that hate. We pray for protection. We pray for victory. We pray that we would fight with our worship, that we would fight on our knees every day. We would fight with prayer against the spiritual forces of evil that want to divide and conquer. We pray that we would come to you each day, trusting that you can build a church who will always prevail and who will show our world that there's an answer and his name is Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen. I wasn't quite sure how to get from that to our last week of this bottom line series, but I, if you've been here for all of it, thank you. Um, I don't know if you agree with this. I haven't said this before, I don't think, but you might feel like Jesus has been a little rude, maybe a little harsh in this series. 
I mean, maybe Jesus is in a bad mood when he talks about money. Like, you know, the no one can serve two masters, this stuff from Hebrews. Then last week, we talked about him saying this stuff about rich people, how hard it is for rich people to get to heaven and the deceitfulness of, of riches. Um, and it's gonna continue today. He tells a story. I'm just gonna read it to you. I thought about ad-libbing it for you, but some of you track better if I tell you the story. Um, here's how the story starts. The story starts with, before we read it, the story starts with somebody coming to Jesus and saying, hey, my brother's not giving me my share of the inheritance, right? I told you I worked at a funeral home. The ugliest part of funeral homes is always, usually sibling disputes about who's making decisions and it gets real ugly. Somebody came to Jesus with that and Jesus is like, that's not my problem. He didn't say it that way, he was nicer than that. And then he tells a story that we're gonna get to. Here we go, Luke 12. Someone in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But Jesus said to him, man, Jesus said, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? That's not my job. And then he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all kind of covetousness, which is greed. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And then he told them a story saying, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do for I have nowhere to store my crops? All right, you see the, the problem this rich man has is he started a business, entrepreneur, he started a business and it was going so well, I don't have a barn big enough to keep all my stuff. So it'd basically be like someone today starting a business, coming back in a few months, it's like, God, there's no bank that'll hold the money that I've got. There's no bank big enough. What am I gonna do with all my stuff? Jesus continues with his story, verse 18, he said, he's talking for the man who did so well. He said, I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and I'll build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. Don't read ahead. Let's stop right there. All right. In 2023, in our culture, we would say, you know, we do that with that guy. We'd give him a standing ovation. Way to go, right? This he kind of is talking about retirement. That's what we think of as retirement. Some of your retirement age thinking about retirement. What do you do? You eat, drink, relax, be merry, enjoy all the work you did all those years. That's what this guy's doing. His business has exploded and multiplied. He didn't do anything shady that we know of. He's living large. And now he's like, okay, I got, I got, I'm good enough till the rest of my years. I'm just gonna relax, eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus says this, but God said to him, fool. What? Fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? We'll stop there. Right, so what we say is the American dream, God says, fool, you're, 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 you're already planning for the future and the future isn't coming because tonight your life is gonna end. Then who's gonna get all your stuff? You worked so hard for all this stuff and like we said last week, it doesn't go with you. And then Jesus is telling the story and this is his bottom line on this story. Verse 21, he says, you can put that next slide up. He says, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself. It calls that foolishness, right? We call it smart, smart, solid financial planning. God calls it foolishness. If you lay up treasure for yourself without being rich toward God. So I thought in this last week, church, we better know what that means. What does it mean to be rich toward God? Let me start with what it doesn't mean, right? And we got so many cultures and backgrounds. And like I told you last week, we're a church for the untold, unconvinced. The people that you know that don't go to church, we want to be their church. We got a lot of people in our church. They don't compare Relentless to their old church. There was no old church. They never went to church, right? We love that, right? But some of you have all kinds of church. You grew up in church. You got, 
So here's what being rich toward God is not. Let me bust this myth that some of you may have grown up with. It is not, it does not mean rich towards me, your pastor, right? You know, there's plenty of situations you can find in all kinds of churches where there's a lot of people really struggling, a lot of poor people, and they live vicariously. Their pastor is living well and driving and dressing well, and somehow they think as long as he's doing well, that's like, that's, that's kind of like, it's like, no, it's not. That's not of God, all right? That's messed up if you want to be real about it. So being rich toward God is not handed me a 20 on your way out, all right? Don't do that, all right? Uh, that's not what rich toward God is not rich toward the man of God. That's not the same thing. Today, we're going to talk about what it and how. How do you live a life that's rich towards God? And we're going we back up to the whole conversation of contentment that we've been carrying through. Contentment does not mean complacent, right? Don't get that twisted. Being content with what you have does not mean, you know, you're lazy. We're, we're pro-ambition, right? What contentment is, we go back to that Philippians 4 that we talked about where Paul said, I'll tell you the secret of contentment. Whether I got a lot or I got a little, I got something that's not going anywhere either way. That's the contentment. But it doesn't mean we're lazy or we're satisfied. We want drive. We want ambition. Last week we said contentment and ambition, they can coexist. One's got to drive. One's got to ride. We want contentment to drive and ambition to ride and take a back seat to that. All right, so we're going to use a scripture that's going to help us Figure out what does it look like to be rich toward God. And this is Paul writing to Timothy. We believe as a church that scripture is not from Paul, but it's from God through Paul. So we believe the Holy Spirit knew that you would be here August 27th, 2023, and he can supernaturally speak to your life through his word. It's amazing. First Timothy 6. As for the rich, who's that? Well, remember last week, if you got running water, if you got an automobile, if you got heating or air, like in the global population, you are one of the richest people on the planet. And if you're not, this is, you can learn from this too. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, not to set, haughty, haughty, not, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to do be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. All right, so in that first verse, it says, Paul's talking to Timothy, a young pastor, right? Um, I'd like to be the role of Timothy today, but some of you constantly remind me that I'm not young. I don't appreciate that. But he's telling them, charge them, like challenge them, right? And in this verse, we're gonna walk through seven things he gives us. Two no-nos and five do's. I could say five do-do's, right? Two no-nos, two things, two no's, don't do this, and five things that we need to do. This is how we're rich towards God. Let's start with the first no. Don't be haughty, right? It's a fun word. Look at your neighbor and say haughty. All right, now if it's a girl and you don't know her, that might be weird because it sounds a lot like haughty, but it's haughty, haughty, not haughty, but haughty, right? That just is a, is a, is a word that means um, arrogant. Don't be arrogant. If your view of poor people is that they're lazy, you're not in alignment with God, All right? God gave us a lot in his word about how he views the poor and we should have his same heart towards the poor. And if, you're, if your view of them, that's haughty, that's arrogant. If you look down on them and, and judge, you think you know your sto- their story, that's not in alignment with God. Um, you know, we serve it with love from Jesus. We've talked about that. And, and um, you know what, just encourage my soul, Thomas Pope back here, raise your hand, Thomas Pope in the blue shirt. If you don't know Thomas Pope, where you been? What are you doing? He's a blessing to our church. He does so much every week. Whatever needs to be done, that's what he does. But I saw him with love from Jesus. And I, he just, he just loved, and I just had like, man, 
And I got to talking to him why he was so passionate about that ministry. As they, the, If you don't know the ministry, they just serve food and clothes and furn- all kinds of stuff that the disadvantaged need. And if you don't know Thomas's story, he, he used to be that. He was homeless. I said, how long ago were you homeless, Thomas Pope? Six years ago, right? So not that long ago. And I got his permission to tell this story. So, so when he sees those people coming through, he sees himself because he remembers what it was like to not be able to get you know, those things and to have a ministry that blesses people that don't have, like it just does something in his heart that's contagious and infectious. And that's what this is talking about. You know, maybe you don't have Thomas's story where you know what that's like, but our heart should be, that could be me, right? None of us are so whatever that, that we couldn't end up in that place, right? So to empathize with, hey, that could be me. If things had gone different, one decision or somebody, whatever, I, I empathize, that could be me. We don't judge so haughtiness, you know, haughtiness to me, it's like, to me, it's that look on the, on the server or on the hostess's face when I go to a really nice restaurant and they kind of look at me like, are you in the right place? It's kind of like, you know, when someone asks me what I do for a living and, they, and I tell them I'm a pastor and they say, you don't look like a pastor. I'm like, what's a pastor look like? I usually just say, thank you, All right? But it's, it's just, God's called his people. If you're blessed, right? If you drive a nice car, we're not trying to feel you guilty. We might make you feel guilty about driving a nice car. It's just to not have this attitude. That's the first no. If you're gonna be rich toward God, don't look at people with that arrogance. Second, here's the second don't. Don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Doesn't mean you can't have money, but it's setting your hope. That's what we've been talking about for four weeks. I hope God's gotten that to you. Is your hope on God or is your hope on riches? It can only be on one or the other. You can't chase both. So I thought um, I'd give you some maybe examples. How do you know if you're setting your hope on riches? So here's some signs maybe that your hope, it has nothing to do with how much money you have. People setting their hope on riches are often people with very little, right? Both rich and poor can set their hope on riches and that's not what we're supposed to do. Here's some, here's some ways you might be doing that. Here's some signs, right? Number one, if, if money dominates your thoughts and worries, if money and the need and the whatever, if it dominates your thoughts and what you worry about, you may be setting your hope on riches. With that, if it's your main issue of stress, God wants to do a work in your heart to free you, right? Don't put your hope on it. Um, third, if you find a way to bring every conversation back to money, you know that guy? No matter what we're talking about, he has a unique talent from bringing that conversation back to, I wonder how much he makes, right? No, you're watching on TV, you know what he, salary, you know, is, it's always about money. That's, 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 that's a worldview, All right? Fourth, the first thing you check or think about in the morning is something to do with, with money, right? And this was convicting to me because I got into a habit where my phone's by my bed and I wake up and I'm awake and I grab my phone and I'm checking the bank account and see if they did everything right. See, I'm checking the credit card, you know, now there's apps for everything. I'm checking the market and just all these, it's like that's not the way God wants me to start my day, right? And it may be different for you, but if that's the first thing you go to, I think uh, there's no verse with that. I just think that's logic. The first thing you think about when you come conscious in the morning is a really good indicator of where your heart is. Um, last sign that you're setting hope on riches is if you've been extremely uncomfortable in this series, all right? If you've been uncomfortable. You know that's part of my job description. If I'm preaching on behalf of God and the word of God and the gospel, is you're supposed to be uncomfortable sometimes with what God says, with the word of God, with the preaching of God's word. If, you, if your God has never made you uncomfortable, you might be worshiping a God of your own imagination, right? If you've never disagreed with your God, then you've created a God, 
right? God is very good and gracious, but he's, he's gonna make us uncomfortable. That's part of what he does, especially when we get into something personal like our money. So don't set your hope. Go back to the don't set your hope on the uncertainty of riches. Um, instead, number three, set your hope on God. So we, we can do one or the other. That was the whole point of the first week. We can't do both. What is your hope on? What is your mind on? What are you just placing your hope on in this world? Be honest with yourself. Be honest with God. Only chase one thing. And the difference is, he said the uncertainty of riches. So he's telling us the difference is your money comes and goes and there's things in the world that you can't control, right? That's, that's what, I think that's the issue with so many stuff we preach that really bothers some of you. Right, you, you, you go to with love from Jesus and maybe you see those people like, man, I could never be in that situation. You could be in that situation. And it would maybe not be your fault. It would be things out of your control. Things can happen. And that's what, that's what drives some of us nuts is the reality that there are things financially and relationally in this world that I have no control over, right? So we put our hope in the things we can't control or we put our hope in God. We don't control him, but he is certain, right? You're never, you might wake up tomorrow and your job is gone, I don't know. I don't, I hope, I'm not trying to scare you. I hope not. That's possible. What's not possible is to wake up tomorrow and God not be there and God be gone or God not, God not be solid or true or real and God still love you. So he's saying, he's just, he's such a logical God. You got riches that are not dependable. And some of you are building your life on that, right? We don't sing that song. I will build my life on my bank account. It doesn't sound as good, right? So he said, some of you are building your life on something that you cannot count on. Put your hope on me because I'm not going anywhere. No matter what happens in the world or in life or in your city or in your world, I'm here. And then he gives us something that's going to make some of you feel better because some of you feel a little beat up in this series. And that ain't me. I'm not beating you up, right? Jesus spoke very bluntly about resources, rich, and wealth. But now this God that we're supposed to set our hope on, he lets us know where our goodness comes from. It says, set your hope on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. Wow. If he hadn't thrown everything in there, because I was going to ask you, do you think that includes the jet ski? Do you think God richly provides you with a jet ski to enjoy? If you got a jet ski, I don't know if you got a jet ski. I think, I think everything includes jet ski. Right now, there's a responsibility. If you got enough money to, to buy a jet ski, there's a responsibility that comes with that. I'm not, I don't know. I'm saying God claims to be the one who richly provides everything everything. And one of the reasons he provides is that you would enjoy what he provides. He's a father, right? If you're a father or a parent, you know how fun it is to provide something for a kid and then love it and play with it and all that stuff, right? God enjoys blessing his kids. He does. So if you're blessed, one, you got to recognize the source. This didn't come from my hard work, maybe partly, but who gave you the ability to work hard? right? It is God is the source who richly provides us with everything we have. And some have more than others. And it's okay to enjoy what God provides. It's actually commanded. So those are the, that's the first do. Do set your hope on God who richly provides us everything to enjoy. The next verse says to do good, to do good in this life, right? Relentless church, we're doing good, right? And we're gonna do a lot better in September about letting you know when you give to Relentless Church, how that goes out into the community. When we started this church in 9-14-14, September 14th, 2014, um, we didn't have any money because we didn't have any people. So how's that work? 
Well, I was the Shark Tank pastor. I would go around to different churches and I would do a presentation and try to get them to support us and give us money to start a church. And some said yes and some said no. And I had a dream and a calling of a a multi-ethnic church in the Raleigh, North Carolina area. And it was some churches and some individuals that gave sacrificially so we would have money to rent the theater that we started in and to, to have a staff and to be a church. And And we did that for three years. And then 2017 was our goal to be self-sustaining. Well, we started something we had, our budget the first year, there wasn't much budget, but there was, it was, we had a budget and we said, you know, we don't have anything, but let's give 1% of our total budget to things that have nothing to do with us as a church, just to bless people outside of us, not to our ministries, but just ministries in our city or ministries in the world. And our goal was to increase that by one every year. So our second year, we went to 2%. So uh, in a few weeks, September 17th, it's gonna be a big day around here. We're gonna celebrate our ninth birthday. So we're in eight this year. Next, in the 2024 budget we're starting to work on, we'll give 9% of our budget to, to ministries and things that aren't for us and aren't to us, right? And if you know scripture, we'll get to tithing. Some of you have questions about tithing. Tithe just is a it just means 10%. We have no intentions of stopping at 10%. When we're 25 years old, I hope that we're giving 25% of our total budget out to other people. We're going to just continue to increase that until God um, says different. So when, as we give um, th- those ministries that are outside of us with love from Jesus, we don't just volunteer there. We give money there, as well as Hand of Hope Pregnancy Center, as well as Lost Sheep um, Ministry with Pastor Brickle, uh, Brian Road Elementary, and then Honduras. Again, we're going to tell you a lot more. There's a series that starts next week. We're done with money this week. Amen? All right. So next week is a series called This Is Us. You didn't have to watch the show This Is Us to be in on this. Uh, probably the best show in the history of television. But it doesn't matter if you know anything about it or not. Um, but it's just a series that we like to use that title because it's for some of our new folks and some of our old folks. This is who we are as a church. And it's really important if you're going to be part of our church to know who we are and see if that's who you are and who you want to be. So there's a week in that, September 10th, uh, where we're going to, Raph's going to break down how we're making an impact on our community financially and walk you through um, what we're doing with the money you give um, each week, in, in, whether you give in the boxes in the back or if you give online. Um, next thing we're supposed to do is be rich in good works, number five. Um, now, it's not just money. It's, it's rich in good works. That's the beauty. Maybe you're struggling right now. I don't have much. If you're struggling right now, you can always be rich in being good. There's always somebody that God will put in your life that you can be generous to and love on. Um, now, let me, let me speak to that because we haven't talked about that. If um, maybe you are struggling right now, I don't think it's because God is punishing you. Some of you equate when you're doing well, it's because God loves me a lot. When, I, when you're struggling, it's because God, right? That, that, that's real dangerous, that connection between, yes, he's a God of blessing and he richly provides. All that works together. There's a tension there. So if you're really down financially and things are going poorly, don't jump to God must be punishing me. Now, I don't know. I don't know your story. Does God punish? I don't think he punishes financially his people. What he does say is he loves us so much that there's a way we're supposed to do our finances. There's a way we're supposed to live financially. And we're walking through that generosity. There's principles that he talks about through his word that are financial. And sometimes we assume that God's punishing us and God's saying, no, I loved you so much. I told you not to do that. I told you not to live that way and spend that way. I told you about debt. I told you all this stuff and you did your own thing. And now you're simply reaping what you sowed. 
right? There's a principle in scripture of reaping what you sow, meaning if I plant turnips, I'm not gonna get carrots. It's impossible, right? I don't even know if you plant turnips, right? But if I plant turnips, I'm not gonna get carrots. If you reap and, and, and live your financial life however you want, according to the way the world says to live and spend and all that stuff, then it doesn't mean God's punishing you, but he is saying, you know, I, I loved you enough to tell you in advance. I'm not telling you after. I told you beforehand, here's how to be with your money. And sometimes our disobedience, um, but it's not punishment. God wants to bless and help you. He just wants you to trust him with your finances, which leads us to number six, which is kind of the biggest one of the list today. How are you rich towards God? To be generous and ready to share. Does that describe you? Like, could you put that on your tombstone? Man, this man, this woman was generous and ready to share. Um, now, Liz, I, I mentioned tithe, and this people, so many people have asked me, are we a tithing church? What does that mean? Um, do, we believe, do, we, do we require, somebody asked me one time, do we require our people to tithe? How would we do that? Right? How, I'd like to see that requirement. I'd like to see what a, how a church would require tithing. I don't know. Uh, that sound like, is that the uh, like brass knuckles, or baseball bats? I don't know. That's not us. All right. So if you don't know, if you don't know the history, the tithe is something that it, it literally just means a tenth. So it's real simple. It's how we teach it to people. You take your, your monthly salary. If you make $1,000 this month, you take a zero off and that would be a tithe. So a hundred of a thousand. If you make 10,000 this month, you take a zero off. That's a thousand. That's what a tithe is. And it's an Old Testament thing that started at the way, way back um, in fact, if you study the Old Testament, the, the Jewish people gave 23% of their money to different offering when you totaled it all up. But this principle of giving a tenth kind of carried over and people wonder, well, we're New Testament. They had to give. It was the idea of first fruits. When you had the crop come in, the first tenth went to God um, and there was ways that they did that um, in the Old Testament. So what about now? Are we required to give? Well, we're not under the law. We're under Jesus, right? It's a new covenant, right? So we just say, if a tithe was the Old Testament standard, and that was when there was a promise of a Messiah, now we don't have the promise of Messiah. We have the reality of God coming, sending his sons because he loved you to die on a cross on our behalf to take the curse that Galatians talks about, to take the curse of, of sin on him so that we could be righteous. He made us righteous through his death and resurrection. That's how, that's how he freed us. He demonstrated his love in that way. Would we raise the standard or lower the standard based on that love, right? So the the tithe, all we say is it's not a limit. It does, there's nothing scripturally that requires you to stop at a tenth. That's why with our church budget, we're going to keep climbing through that, which will be awesome. But people will get it mixed up. And I know people get it mixed up because my own family gets it mixed up. My boys are starting to make some money and starting jobs. And we're at that stage. I can't believe that's where we're at. And I had the conversation, you know, you're going to tithe, you know, you know, give a tenth to, to God, to the, to the church. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And one of my sons said, I mean, why don't I just give it to you? It's kind of the same thing. I said, no, it's not the same thing, right? So just in case you don't know, what we never do is take the weekly offering and get in a room somewhere. Like my sal I have a salary, it's set. It doesn't go up when there's a good month of giving. It doesn't go down when there's a bad month of giving, right? That's not how this works. You're not giving to me. Now, part of your generosity does support um, our staff and, and our whole, our, our rent, we're, we're, we're renters here at this place. Um, so it's not that, it, it, is, it is not between you and me, it is between you and God. It really is. Um, and 
And we believe that being rich toward God, and people they say, well, if I want to be rich toward God, where's his ATM? Where's his bank? I want to be rich toward God. Well, the body of Christ, we are the body of Christ. We are the way, the best way, not the only way, the best way to be rich toward God is to be rich toward his church. You find a church that is living out the mission and principles of Jesus Christ, and you fund the mission of Jesus through the church. That is how you're rich toward God. Now, I know some will think, well, yeah, it's convenient for you to say that, right? Say, give to God by giving to the church that you're a pastor on, that you're, and I get, I get the skepticism, right? Um, because there's so many stories and it's not hard to find just crazy messed up stories. So here's how we've viewed um, money as a church for nine years. I've been told I should preach on it more. It's how we got to this and from the story I told you from the men's retreat. So we're a church for the untold, unconvinced. There's a lot of people that put their head on their pillow tonight that don't know Jesus. They don't know the real Jesus. They've rejected the Jesus in their mind. They don't know who Jesus really is. If they got a taste of who Jesus really is, they would be all in. So there's barriers to keep, they're like, I'm not coming to church. You know them, you've been inviting them. Like, I don't do church. I'm not into that, right? Some, a lot of it's because of the church they used to go to or whatever, and they were hurt, whatever. So we just, we, we just look at those things um, that keep people from coming to church and money is a big one. It's a big one because they think, yeah, I know, I know what church is about. They just want to get my money. So what do we do? Uh, for two reasons. When you start a church, you have no tradition. We had no tradition. So we just kind of looked in the future and thought in 2014 when we started, man, a lot of people aren't carrying cash like they used to. If, if people, that's probably going to grow and not shrink. So if people aren't carrying cash, let's not do the old school offering right? Chauncey, I remember it a few weeks ago, Chauncey was up here and he was talking into a song and he said, you know, I've given this, this, this speech or I've, I've used this verse a lot of times in, in my old church. And I remembered, because I, you, know, you forget after nine years, I used to be in those churches too. Do anybody grow up in a church where every week you stopped and had an offering moment? All right. All right. It's a lot of us, right? So if you didn't grow up in that, what it was is you just planted into the service, usually before or after a song, you get different people to come up and give inspiring stories. And, and, and if it's a really good story, then you get a really good offering. And then you had plates or buckets. I was at some conferences, Promise Keepers back in the day, they'd pass around Kentucky Fried Chicken buckets for the offering. And you would have the, the, the people serve, you know, row to row, everyone. We would always say back in the day, we did it in youth group, we'd always tell the kid, the teenagers, please put money in, don't take money out. That's what offering is. It's putting money in, not taking money out. And we've never done that in Relentless Church until today. Just kidding. Just kidding. We're, we're not. Because we just want to take that away. So when people come here the first time, I had people stop me in the early days like, hey, y'all forgot to do offering. Like, no, we didn't forget. That's intentional, right? We do need money, but we just don't want to stop the flow. We're so blessed by these people that were up here leading us to worship. We don't want to stop the flow of worship every single week to remind you to give. Right? And I had somebody who knows a lot about church and who loves me and loves Relentless come and, uh, a few months in and say, you're not going to make it to your third birthday. We're getting ready to celebrate our ninth. You won't make it if you don't take offering. I've seen this. You've got to take an offering. And we just said, we're, we're going we're to be a church that is not the guilt and shame. Right? Why do people, why do people you know, try to guilt and shame people into giving? Anybody know the answer? I'm asking you. Why do the people do that? Because it works. Right? Back in the, you know, now we don't answer our phones if you don't recognize, you don't recognize, you don't answer the phone if you don't know the number, right? Right? But they're still calling people and selling insurance and stuff. And why, and they're so rude and pushy. Why do they do that? Because some people somewhere 
It's working. Quit buying stuff. When people knock on your door, say, God bless you, please go away. That's all you say. If everybody in the whole world would do that, they would study it and they would stop coming to our door. It would never happen again, right? So the only reason that churches are so guilt and shame is because they've studied the numbers and I hate it, but the reality is if I stand up here and I make you feel greedy and, and selfish and ridiculous and tell you, you know, tell you some pictures of some poor kids and whatever and just bet, you know, it must work, but it doesn't work for us because it's not who we are. And I think God has blessed us, not because we don't take an offering. I think God has blessed us because we're in line with scripture. Because New Testament, when it talks about giving, it says nobody should give under compulsion. It is a choice. And we've been so blessed, church. Through the pandemic, are you serious? We didn't have church. We were online only. We've been so blessed, all right, to, to sustain and to grow our giving. I think part of that is, is we're trying to create a church where people feel like it's a choice and an opportunity and they enjoy giving to be, you're so generous and I'm blessed by that. And sometimes because of the cynics and the skeptics, sometimes I shy away from talking about money, maybe more than I should. And I've realized in the last year, I'm still the chief fundraiser for what we're doing. When I look at the budget and we look at staff and what we can do for staff and, and, and hiring future staff, I have a dream. I've never set it up here. I have a dream for us to own a building. I want us to own a building, maybe this building, maybe some other. I believe that's in the works and the cards, right? All of those things I think God is doing, I got to remember, like I got to put the word out out there that your money matters in that. We couldn't do and hire and be, and people are changing. Lives are changing in our church, in our community. Some people are coming to Christ. We baptized 102 people. That wouldn't happen without the generosity of people. So how do you be rich towards God? You be rich towards his church. Right? If you want to give to something else, you're like, oh, here it is. I knew it was coming week four. Here's the, here's the deal. Like if, you th- if you're a cynic like that, then just find some organization you believe in and give to that instead of us if you're not, if you're not sure giving us. And it's not just be generous, but be ready to share. Right? And you guys are that. Um, and this has been convicting to me. It's, it's, we all make different. That's the beauty of a tithe. It's 10% of a little or 10% of a lot. 10% is a lot for anybody. 10%, that's a lot. And people, we have partners here at our church that have committed to, to work towards tithing, even if they're not there yet. And, and we don't have like a few families that if they moved away or stopped giving, we'd be in trouble. It's, it's really spread out. And it's the most unifying, we prayed for unity. The most unifying thing in a church is we all give our money um, and whatever we've been you know, called to give between you and God. I leave that between you and God. We all pull that money and we become a church. And we're also, we share our stuff. So I'm gonna tell this story. I'm not gonna use names because they wouldn't want me to. But this was back, I don't know how many months ago, but there was a family in our church whose van was in the shop and they're supposed to get it out because they were going to Disney World. Um, and then the day before the trip, the van was still in the shop. Oh, we, I don't know if it's gonna be ready. This family with a bunch of kids to go to Disney World. And I didn't, I didn't, arranged this, but somehow a family in our church heard that and they said, here, take our van because the van wasn't gonna be ready. So they gave them their minivan to go to Disney World. And to me, I was like, I don't know if I would do that. You know why? Because I'm thinking, like, how's that work insurance? If they wreck my van, is that on them or my, I think it's my insurance. I don't know how that works. But I was thinking that, I was thinking about the miles down there. I was like, do we need our van? I was just thinking, ah, you know, and, and it was like, that's so abnormal to give up your van. That's a long trip to Florida and back. That's so abnormal for some of us to think that way. If you study the New Testament church that Jesus started, that's the most normal thing ever, right? It's just, yeah, the first century Christians will be like, you're using that as a story? Like that's 
just basic Christianity. Generous, ready to share. We're growing in that church. I'm growing in that, and it's exciting. And all of that leads us to the final thing. We'll end the series with this. So that we can take hold of that which is truly life. There's something about living generous and, and what Rav was talking about, closed-fisted, not just with money, but with your stuff. There's something about open-handed living. That's the life we were called to. There's so much misery when you, when you stress and worry about money and what you got and you're not content. There's so much. That's not the life. That's not the life we were called to. And I just think in that example of that story, what God's calling us to, we need to ask a better question. We're good at asking this question. God, why is there this lack? I use the example, I pray it doesn't happen. But if you go into work tomorrow and you don't have a job, we're gonna go to God and say, what are you doing? What am I like? And that's okay. God wants you to talk like that. When there's a lack, you go to God. He is the provider. He wants to bless. He richly provides. You can bring all that to him. We ask that question really naturally. Why do I lack? You know the question we gotta get better at? If I've got extra, God, why have you given me extra? Why have you given me more than I need? Like if I got a, what are we supposed to be content with? Paul said, food, eating and clothing. If I got way more than I need just to be dressed and to eat, why? Right, we naturally ask, why is there this gap? But we don't naturally ask, why do I have extra? Right, and God would say, there's a, there's a family in your church and they're praying, God, I need, help me, help me, help me. And you're the answer to that prayer. But if you're not, Living the life, that's the, it's such a blessing. That family that uh, let the van be borrowed, they were blessed. It is such a blessing to live with generosity. That's the church that we are as the church we're becoming. I want us to take hold of that which is truly life, which is not selfish living. There's really good people all over our community that were taught from a very young age, take care of yourself. That's not the life that brings peace and joy. That's not the life you were created for. Father, I thank you for life. Jesus, that you said you want us to have abundant life. You don't want us to be without. You want to richly provide everything for us to enjoy. But in that, God, we have such a responsibility. You have resourced this church. You have blessed people and families and individuals in this church. I pray we would be rich towards you, that we would not live narrow-minded lives that assume that we've got years that we may or may not have, that we would be rich, that we'd be rich in good deeds, that we would do good in our community, that we'd be generous and ready to share, that we would take hold, Relentless Church would take hold of the life that is truly life. God, the specifics of what people need to do with their finances, what a next step, would you communicate that? through your Holy Spirit, what that is as we go forward from here. We pray and go in Jesus' name, amen. This is us next week.